Welcome back. Today, Paul had a very special lunch date, and I wanted to honor that by talking about it a little bit. So you want to share who you bought lunch for today? Yeah, I had a little champagne. I, I really shouldn't at lunch. Just a sip. You can tell. But congratulating Brett, my youngest son, who went to the Naval Academy and then two years of training, first starting fixed wing and then going to helicopters. He was a chopper pilot in the Persian Gulf and also the South China Sea. He served for eight years, uh, three different deployments. So all in 14 years. And I just am grateful to my son's service for his sacrifice. He basically put his life on hold for 14 years so that we can go full bore with our lives. And I want to thank all the parents of service members out there right now, uh, relatives of service members. I, you know, got a front row seat, what these men and women put up with, what they have to go through. And I'm just in awe of the people who serve this country and uh, freedom doesn't come cheap, but I'm proud of Brett. We had a nice lunch, uh, had a chance to toast him and thank him. And his brother was there and it was, it was just really nice, Jor. Thank you for asking. And I think people uh, sometimes don't remember the parents and the family of the service person who is serving and what they go through. I know there were many nights when Brett was in the South China Sea where you and Lori would be watching the news, would be worried, would be, you know, concerned over anything that aggravated that situation. And um, really, I know he served 14 years of his life, and I am grateful for him and for all of the service people. But also, we should honor the families of service people because they give up a lot, too, you um, suffer in many ways, along with your son, daughter, loved one, husband, wife, whoever is serving. And um, we are grateful for that sacrifice as well. So uh, you, the families of service people should be honored as well. So I hope there was a toast to you at the lunch today as well. No toast to me, but but a oh, to- I, I, thank you, Jura. That That's a nice thought. But he's a civilian now moving on getting his MBA. Yeah. Uh, proving that he is the smartest of the bunch. So uh, <laughs> very happy Don't for Don't let Walter him. say that. <laughs> well, no, they're both smart. So yep. what is he going to do? What is uh, what has his service prepared him for? And what does he want to do now, obviously, after the MBA? He's interested in cyber, cybersecurity. Mm. He loves computers. He's built his own computers. And I, I don't really know, but I think he wants to be able to work here in the Twin Cities for anybody and, and not have to physically move somewhere else. Um, and it's interesting how that has changed. The pandemic has changed expectations, mm. especially for tech workers. It's like, if you want to rent my brain... Let me work where I want to work. Right. Here are my terms. If I get stuff done, don't tell me I've got to schlep into the office three, four, five days a week. If I can be productive. So I think that's what he wants. I'm not sure he knows exactly what he wants, but he wants a foundation just in case he wants to start his own company. I think he's got a business in him or two. Uh, we'll see. I wonder where he gets that. His mother. Well, I'm excited for him for this next chapter, for his wife, for you guys. Hopefully after school, he'll come back and live in the Twin Cities, like you said, and you can have more grandbabies running around. I hope so. If that's what you choose, if that's what he chooses and his wife chooses, and because I know that would make you and Lori happy. It sure would. Thanks, George. Good. Let's take a quick break. Uh, There was an op-ed 
with Stephen Belton. Stephen is a frequent guest on the show. He comes on every Tuesday. Uh, He's the president and CEO of the Urban League Twin Cities. He wrote a fascinating op-ed about the MPD report on civil rights last week, and we have much to discuss with him. Stephen Belton, up next. Found the Minneapolis Police Department engaged in a pattern of practice and practice of racial discrimination against black people and organizations over a 10-year period. It found they created fake social media accounts to follow people and organizations like the Urban League Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. The president of the Urban League Twin Cities joins us um he, we don't have him yet. He joins us every Tuesday, Stephen Belton, because we want to talk about this. He wrote a fabulous op-ed piece in the Star Tribune today. You can find it on the last page of the front section where the title is Culture of Racism is No Surprise. And I get that, Paul. You know, I think that while the report, as shocking and appalling as it is, it certainly wasn't a surprise to people of color and minorities because they have been experiencing, they have been living with this. They know that driving while black will get you pulled over. They know that, you know, spitting on the sidewalk uh, will get you pulled over when, or, or will, will, will get you questioned by the police, even if that doesn't happen to white people who do the same offense. So that we, they have been living that reality. Mm-hmm. So while the rest of us, it might have been shocking to read in print, they know that is the truth. Uh, Stephen Belton, from he is the president and CEO of the Urban League Twin Cities, joins us on the John Schuster Hotline now. Uh, welcome once again, Stephen, to the show. Hey, Stephen. Thanks, Jordan. Hey, how are you? Yeah, we read your piece. We read your piece. And um, again, not surprised. We covered this heavily last week. But apparently, Urban League Twin Cities was one of the organizations that was followed by, I guess, fake social media accounts of the MPD. Were you personally followed? Um, Don't know, Jordana. There's no, we haven't been able to unpack so far what exactly happened. What we know is what was in the report, which is that the uh, Minneapolis, excuse me, the Minnesota Department of Human Rights uh, found evidence that uh, Minneapolis Police Department officials, we don't know if they were uh, officers or patrol people, uh, were creating um, fake social media accounts, and apparently they attempted to influence or to contact or to, uh, you know, to uh, you know, manipulate uh, the Urban League as well as the NAACP in the course of doing that. And uh, so we don't know. They also mentioned uh, the State Department of Human Rights that uh, after they had done their investigation that the social media accounts were erased um, or eliminated or, you know, deleted. And so we're not able to, you know, to find specific evidence, but we are reaching out to the department to find out what, if anything, they, uh, what more they might be able to tell us and share and whether they were specific uh, individuals targeted or whether they were just going after the organization uh, in general. Well, Stephen, you wrote a powerful op-ed, and I just want to read something you said. This institutional pattern and practice of MPD can only be described as an unchecked culture of racism enabled by department and elected leaders who've been unwilling or unable to control or hold them accountable. You go on later in the op-ed to say courts can't change culture, justice can't be negotiated. As Minneapolis continues to talk about what to do, 
uh, with the police department? How do we change the culture? How do we reform? At the same time, we're trying to add more cops to the beat and attract, you know, a new department uh, head. Um, what? Where does your brain go in terms of what comes next based on uh, what we've learned from uh, MDHR, the Minnesota Department of Human Rights? How does that flavor the next step? Well, I think you've uh, the other point that I try to make in the commentary of Paul and Jordana is that this isn't an, it's no longer we can no longer see this as an instance of a rogue cop or two that, you know, Derek Chauvin was, you know, just an outlier and that these kind of incidents uh, are, are, you know, exceptions to the rule. Uh, this is a culture um, of racist policing. Now, I, I need to add that not everybody who's on the Minneapolis Police Department, never, not everybody who is a, is a cop or who wears the blue is a racist. That is not what I'm saying, and that's not what this report indicates. But it does clearly indicate that we have a culture of racism and racist practices that are not only um, implemented or carried out, but are tolerated or looked the other way by supervisors and by the political leadership. They have known about this stuff. For a long time. So it begins, you ask Paul, what do we do next? It begins with acknowledging that this is a cultural practice, that it is a pattern in practice, that it is institutional wide, and that our leaders have known about it for years. Second, it, we need to hold people accountable for doing it. We need to hold our elected officials accountable, but also need to hold accountable the police leadership. Um, they have the capacity, they have the tools. Already, I will be the first to say that we could certainly strengthen the laws and the regulations, but they have the capacity now to address these incidents of racist policing when they happen, uh, and they need to be held accountable for doing that. We need a dashboard so that we can know what exactly they are doing and who they are holding accountable and how they're doing it. Uh, but we don't have that information now. And third, we need the community to weigh in on this, to say, look, to the extent that the police department believes that these racist practices uh, that they're doing, which includes name calling for crying out loud, you know, calling, you know, using the N word and calling even other police officers using these racist name calling there. It includes such horrendous acts as that, uh, Paul and Jordana. We need to say that's not acceptable. We need to say as a community member that we expect of our leaders, you need to change this culture of practice, uh, pattern and practice right now. No waiting. You need to do it now. So, Stephen, are you saying that former Chief Madaria Arredondo, former Chief Janae Harto, um, Betsy Hodges, Mayor Fry, are you say are you saying they are were all aware of these practices and they allowed it? I'm not saying it. Minnesota Department of Human Rights is saying it. They're saying it. So this report, to be clear, captured a ten year period of time from 2010 to 2020. There were three mayors during that time. Uh, they were R.T. Ryback. Betsy Hodges and Jacob Fry. And then we also had three police chiefs. And that report name doesn't name those individuals, but it's clear that they were doing covering data and doing uh, and interviewing people about that specific 10 year period of time. And the report says that they knew about it, that they were aware of it, and they did nothing about it, or at least whatever they did about it was ineffective. There was an article in the Star Tribune this past Sunday where the reporters tried to contact the three political leaders, the three meaning the three mayors, and the uh, police chiefs during that period of time. And for the most part, they all declined to be interviewed. The one who did interview, you know, 
provided comments was uh, R.T. Ryback, who had this sort of meaningless comment that, oh, gee, you know, my hands were tied and uh, we've got to roll up our sleeves and move forward now. And that is the same sort of attitude of, you know, laissez-faire, whatever happens, that got us here in the first place. Uh, but be, to be clear, Paula Jordana, this is a 10-year period that they're talking about, but this goes back decades. Black people in the state of Minnesota have been complaining about this really since the inception of the state itself. The Urban League Twin Cities was created, formed in 1925, is specifically to address these kinds of concerns. So, Stephen, you end your piece by saying demand, they reform, rehabilitate, and retrofit policing. Now our lives depend on it. What advice would you have for listeners, regardless of, of skin color, in terms of yep. getting results and, and moving the needle? Great question. I say that you know somebody who is either an elected official on your city council uh, who's a cop, you know, who's a member of, the, you know, the police federation, uh, you know, a legislator, you know, somebody. And if you don't, shame on you, but you don't have to be shamed for long. You can find that out. It's easily accessible information. Call those folks up and tell them that you demand that they get about the business of reforming our police department now. Make it their number one priority and make it clear to them. So that the police are clear that when they are behaving like that, they're, maybe, they're not only not only acting with impunity, they're going to be held accountable, but that the community doesn't support that, that these racist practices do not reflect the values of the community. Because I really believe that these police officers who are committing and who are contributing to this culture of racism are doing so because they believe that they're reflecting the values of the broader community. And it takes the broader community, and specifically the white community, to reject that and to say that is not okay. And so call your congressman, call your state legislator, call your city council member or mayor, and just light up their phones and let them know we want to see reform of racist policing now. Okay. Stephen Belton, President and CEO of the Urban League Twin Cities. It is a powerful piece today uh, in the Star Tribune. Thank yeah. you for writing it. Uh, thank you for always coming on and talking to us about these hard issues. I'm, I feel embarrassed that once again, um, you know, Minneapolis is in the spotlight, and I, I feel embarrassed that this went on under our noses. But now that the public knows, hopefully there can be real change. Thanks, so Thanks much. Stephen. Appreciate the time to be with you. Yep. Bye bye. Thank you. Oh, God. It, I mean, it's embarrassing that this was going on and everybody knew about it and everybody should take accountability for it. I don't know what kind of repercussions there could be for uh, past leaders um, or even current leaders. But, you know, I mean, if civil rights were violated, that there, there could be legalities there and it was covered up, that could be a crime. I don't know that it is, but I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure there's an investigation underway right yeah. now. When we come back, a deep cleansing breath will lighten things up. Tim Lammers, what to stream? And uh, I think there will be some mention of Ozark when we come back on CCO. The Godfather is bringing us too many problems. You want me to take care of it? Gangster movies are dead. This is not just some gangster film. We need someone who understands Italians. Our gangster sport company, he's got a great vision. We have to put this in the picture. A scene about gangsters arguing over sauce? No. A scene about family arguing over sauce. Oh, boy. That sounds interesting. On Paramount Plus, The Offer, a remake of the Godfather series? What's going on? Hey, Tim Lammers. 
Hey, Paul. Hey, Jordana. And uh, yeah, the offer is about the making of The Godfather. The it is a, a, a narrative series, though. This isn't a documentary, although I would probably be just as fascinated with the documentary about this. But no, basically, this is a recreation of all the events, all the turmoil, all the fights with the studio. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All the fights between the creatives uh, in making this classic film, hmm. and I don't say these words lightly, probably because I'm a Godfather fanboy, one of the uh -huh. best series I've ever seen. Wow. 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 Really? Okay. Because it sounds oh. like, oh, they made a movie about making a movie, but uh, wow. Well, okay. yeah, it's, yeah, and it's a series, though. I mean, it's a 10-episode series. series, and it okay. really just, it goes into all these interesting backstories. You know, it's the story from the point of view of Albert S. Ruddy, played by Miles Teller, who is this producer, young producer, you know, um, he uh, starts with Paramount, uh, Robert Evans, a legendary producer played by Matthew Good. It, it, the guy's a clone of Robert, the real Robert Evans, who passed away a few years ago. Um, you know, big studio boss in the 1970s, um, you know, trying to get this, this novel made, not only facing these critics who said, well, mob movies don't sell, but actually dealing with the mob themselves, mob members in New York that are none too happy about this story of theirs coming out. Hmm. So you have okay. that sort of external pressure as well. Uh, I love seeing people uh, played uh, Dan Folger, who is in Fantastic Beasts. Uh, he's Jacob in that one. He plays Francis Ford Coppola. He looks like a Francis Ford Coppola co uh, clone. You got people like uh, playing Al Pacino and Marlon Brando. That's coming up, not in the first three episodes, but that's coming up. So it's like history, it's like watching history unfold. It's like watching history in the making, except for instead of the seeing the Godfather movie, you're seeing every creative aspect that went into it, and it is incredibly fascinating. Wow, yeah. that's awesome. That's on uh, Paramount Plus, and it's right. available now. And there was no, there was no uh, trouble getting it made because uh, The Godfather is a Paramount picture. So <laughs> full cooperation there. Uh, yeah, it, it's so fascinating. And again, cool. I, I would imagine a lot of that has to do with being a fan of The Godfather or not. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, Mario Puzo, too. I mean, he's the guy that wrote the novel. You know, you look at his backstory, et cetera, et cetera. A struggling author who had the book optioned and Paramount sat on it for a year until uh, Warner Brothers showed interest until that told Paramount, you know, we're on to something here. And, you know, arguably is one of the greatest movies ever made. Mm -hmm. Let's okay. move on a little bit. I read recently, and my kids are huge fans of Andrew Garfield. Uh, I read recently that he is taking a break from movie making, but, but I guess he made this one, Under the Banner of Heaven. From the first moment anyone set eyes on her, they were hooked. An evil presence is in his family. What if this case isn't just a husband who turned against his wife? 
what if tonight is just the first edge of a bone? Finally working its way out of our own desert's floor. Heads up right now! This goes beyond just a murder. Beyond everything, I believe. Okay, so not for Jordana. <laughs> well, you know, it's a murder mystery and, and um, a true life uh, situation here. This happened in 1984. Uh, a young mother and her infant daughter were brutally murdered in Utah in the Mormon uh, community. Um, Andrew Garfield plays Jeb Pyrie, who is a Salt Lake City or Salt Lake Valley detective. And he and Gil Birmingham, who is his partner, investigate this murder. And it may or may not be tied to uh, Mormon fundamentalism. So, look, I have not seen the Book of Mormon. I have not studied the Mormon faith. Um, I have to tell you, it's really learning more about the religion, uh, the LDS, the Church of Latter-day Saints, was a real eye-opener for me. So in, in addition to, you know, learning about other people's faith, I mean, you have this riveting story where you think you know where it's going, but uh, right now it really is a labyrinth, and uh, it just really grips you and keeps you watching. It's a seven-episode series that's on Hulu. And and Tim, you did an interview with Andrew Garfield and and Gil Birmingham, right? Yeah, I love. Well, first of all, you know Andrew Garfield, obviously, and Spider Man: No Way Home. So we did talk a little bit. You can't talk with Andrew Garfield with a man without mentioning Spider Man. So you know, I have that. Uh, it's on my website, directconversations.com. dot com. It's a loop, uh, a link to Looper, uh, who published the uh, interview. But Gil Birmingham is also a terrific actor. You've seen him in Hell or High Water and Yellowstone. Right. Uh, just a great actor. It's a great, you know, on-screen chemistry between these two guys playing detectives, and they obviously they had a lot of fun, you know, doing the interview together too. Very cool. Hey Tim, we're out of time. I just want to mention and thank you for your review of Ozark. I don't want to give away any spoilers for listeners uh, who have not binged through those last few episodes. All I will say is this: I found it unsatisfying the ending, and I also think that maybe the showrunners left the door open for another season, if you know what I yeah. mean. I totally agree with you, and I am deeply disappointed with the ending. I, I, in oh. fact, I'm going to go so far as to say it was a terrible ending. Oh. Yeah. Um, just not really what I expected, nor I think should have happened. Read into that what you will. I think you and I, Paul, have always been on the same page yeah. about this series, so you probably know. We'll probably have to exchange emails or something to talk about this further, because, again, you don't want to spoil it, but, yeah, right. it, just, it just didn't end the way that uh, I thought it was going to. Yeah, I thought of you. I agree. I agree, but it's still <laughs> worth watching. It's amazing. Oh, yeah, no question. I just think they botched the ending. I just, I yeah. really do. And, and that and it happens a lot of times with the finales of big series. It's very, very rare that somebody nails it. I think one of the very few for me was Afterlife with Ricky Gervais, season three, uh, three seasons of that, the very last episode, one of the best I've ever seen finales. But a lot of times, look at Friends, uh, Friends and look at um, Seinfeld. What a disaster that was. <laughs> you know? So those finales don't always work the way we want them yeah. to. Tim Lammers. Thanks so much, Tim Lammers. We appreciate your time. Catch Thank you, you on so much. Friday. You can always 
find him on social media at timlammers.com and on Facebook and, and on Twitter. When we get back, Mike Max is going to be joining us. I believe he filled in this morning. Good news about the twins yesterday. Hear more with Maxie next. You should yeah. want to talk about this. I'm weather. not sure this is one of those better days. No, it was rhetorical. I, yeah, I was she, actually. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> never mind. It doesn't matter. We're sheepy. None of it matters. None of it matters. Um, Maxi Sports brought to you by the John Schuster Group at Caldwell Banker Real Estate. And and Maxi, what is the deal? It's it's a little like the Twins and the Yankees. What is the the problem with the Wild and the Blues? They lost all three regular season matchups against St. Louis. And last night it got awfully quiet over at XL Energy. But what's going on? Where's JP? <laughs> JP? Yeah. You want to do the traffic, buddy? Do you want to do traffic? Yeah, traffic wasn't bad. Came in. I was in the northern suburbs yeah, today after an assignment and came in. It wasn't. Uh, now that I think about it, I, in fairness to the to the people that I've complained, it, it was it flowed well today. Okay. It was okay. Yep, it's because so, the I, I construction be hasn't begun yet. No. Yeah. Once you get to downtown, all bets are off. But that's another story. Um, right. They're, yeah. The the blues are really good. I mean, I I really I when I watched them last night, it was like. Wow, I mean, I, I I know they're good, but I didn't know they were this good. And because because the Wild came back on them, they're down four to one and scored three goals in the third period in St. Louis a couple weeks ago. Um, but uh, the Blues coach is what is it twelve zero and two against the Wild, something like that. Oof! Uh, since he took over, so so, so they just. I, I mean, it's hard to explain, but I think everybody that number. was there thought the same thing. They said. You know, after they scored their first goal, you go, well, Wild better get one quick. When they got their second goal, uh, the general feeling was the Blues are in complete control. That, that, that um, you know, you, you try to say when it's a 2 nothing game, you keep saying, well, boy, the next goal is a big one. Uh, if the Wild can get that one, then we got a new game. But you, you just never felt like th- th- there's just this presence and this confidence in the way that they play. Uh, you felt like they owned the night, you know, and you're going – it shouldn't be like this, but you felt like the Wild were working their butts off to get opportunities mm-hmm. and whatnot and get nothing. And then mm-hmm. uh, Jordan, uh, or Jared Spurgeon, uh, with uncharacteristic, he's he's about as uh, calm and nice a guy as you're going to meet. But he slashed, you know, he he got uh, fined a five thousand dollars for a slashing oh. at the end of the game. Uh, fortunately for the Wild, I guess he he was not suspended for the next game. Um, because it's an egregious offense, and, and, and they can do that. And, and, and that probably speaks to where this team was at last. And he's the captain. He's quiet. Uh, he's, he, he's not a guy you would expect to do that. And, and, and that tells me that the Blues really got the wild reeling and thinking and wondering if they can compete. Well, we all lose oh it sometimes, so yeah. I'm glad he didn't hurt anybody. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. I know you worked this morning. You filled in. Yeah. Uh, you were doing the morning yep. Uh, yep. here what on What was CCO. your favorite part? Uh, you had uh, you had some interesting callers. You Maxie. had some interesting calls there, Mikey. <laughs> there's a, on the show Fraser. There's a there's a, you know obviously he plays the part of a of a radio talk show host and, and yeah. uh, he's at home one day and and uh, he says uh, what was your favorite part of my show and and, and Daphne the the, the uh, lady that was listening says uh, it was that call from Tacoma and then later she says I always assume there's at least one call from Tacoma so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was listening. I, I feel listening. that way about my show a lot, you know. No, you. We have some interesting. What was your favorite part? Uh, that deal where you today. were kind of talking about sports—that was good. 
Uh, what else? I, you, you said you came in from the western suburbs. Was that because you did the show from home, or what else were you Yeah, I, I did their show from home. Then I was at the, the Vikings. Uh, Harrison Phillips is a new guy, and he was at a Crescent Cove uh, children's hospice facility in, in Minnesota that is unique to Minnesota. And uh, he was visiting with the kids out there, and it was uh, it, it, he just signed with the, the Vikings from uh, the Buffalo Bills. Uh, but he got here, and he said, I, I need to do something with kids. And in and, and visiting with him, I hadn't met him until today, uh, I mean, he seemed like the real deal. He was talking about the stuff he did in Buffalo and, and the way he engaged with the kids. And sometimes that can, those can be awkward conversations because they're 10 years old or 15 years old. In this case, mm-hmm. they, they've got um, uh, some real medical needs. And, and he really did a nice job as I watched him uh, flowing a conversation and making them feel special. So that, that kind of made my mm-hmm. day going out there. I did it for an assignment, but I mean, that was my observation. That's so Very sweet. Very cool. Hey, Maxie, the uh, Twins are playing the Orioles again this evening. Nice victory last night. They've gone. They've won 10 of the last 11. 10 of 11, Paul. Uh, they are hot, and uh, the Orioles, not so much. Not so much. Nope. The Orioles have been one of those stops where you go, let's get healthy, uh, because that, that's the kind of team that they've had of late. But the Twins were pretty clean last night, 2-1. to one, But tonight, Joe Ryan pitches, and that's always kind of fun to watch right now. That piques my interest because you know he's going to give you a little something. He, he's got good stuff, and, and, and he will give them a good chance to win the night again. Uh, you know, two runs might not get it done. Uh, it did last night, but... Um, uh, yeah, he's he's got something going. They lost to know, you know, and Garlic are both on the IL and uh, uh, two starting pitchers as well. So uh, they're surviving a few things too, and that's uh, that's a good sign. Buxton's missed games. You know, this is uh, we're just into May. We're, we're we're not even a month into this season because they started on the seventh a little bit late, uh, and they've again had ample injuries. But you don't notice it as much when they're winning. Hmm. Yeah, I see Alex Kirloff playing the night over in uh, St. Paul. He's going to bat third again for them, left fielder that they they would like to get back. Uh, Larnick's giving him some good at bats, but uh, obviously he's he's not that far away from rejoining them. He's been out as well. Hmm. Mikey, we'll be launching okay. on TV. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's a long day, but we always appreciate you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. When we get back, we will get back into. The big story of the day today, of course, the leak to Politico of a draft ruling in a Mississippi case that could overturn uh, Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. You know, this is tough subject matter. It really is. Uh, but we're taking it on today. We were taking your calls or your top or, or, or your texts at 651-461-9226. And joining us is going to be Rachel Palos. She is a professor and a former U.S. attorney uh, from now at St. Thomas University, constitutional expert. She talks with us a lot about these uh, these stories. And she wrote that she was appalled by the procedural breach here. So we want to hear more about that. Yeah, absolutely. That's coming up. And also... A chance to win some Twins tickets. In fact, should I wait, DJ? Wait till after the hour, or can I ask now? Uh, no, you got to wait. You got to wait because we got to. You got to play gotta the gotta Twins win song. You got to listen okay. for Win Twins, All right. and uh, we'll give tickets away then. Yeah, Twins versus Houston game on Tuesday. Stick around. That's coming up very quickly, but only if you're listening on CCO. We'll be right back.